Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. It is Tuesday afternoon, which means it is Draft Deep Dives Day. So I'm here, of course, with my co-host, Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, how are you doing this fine Tuesday afternoon? Nick, I'm fantastic. We are so close. The the, the so draft close. is almost here. We're, we almost made it, uh, but I, I, I'm excited to kind of cover what we're covering today and uh, just really ramp up to the draft. It's It's one of the best times of the year. Absolutely. So we have a fun one today. We're going to start off with a little bit of discussion on each of our most recent articles over at No Ceilings NBA before we really dive deep into our big boards. So we're going to run through each of our respective lotteries, debate a little bit, you know, sort of discuss differences. I know for a fact that there's going to be at least one major difference between our two boards. Uh, I think some of you might have some inkling of what that difference might be, but we'll get to it when we get to it, you know. But we're going to start off today by talking about the article that I co-wrote with Tyler Rucker earlier this week about Keegan Murray and what we called the Keegan Murray dilemma that faces the Sacramento Kings at fourth overall. And the Keegan Murray dilemma, as I saw it anyway, uh, Rucker mostly agreed with me, although he was slightly higher on Keegan at the beginning and the end of that piece than I was. But the dilemma is essentially that Keegan Murray makes a whole lot of sense for Sacramento in terms of the kinds of roles that Sacramento needs filled, whereas Jaden Ivey doesn't make as much sense fit-wise, but... I think that he would be the best player available if he's available on the board at four. If both he and Keegan are on the board at four, I think that Ivy would probably be the best player available. But, you know, I thought it was a really interesting discussion to have with Rucker about, you know, the Kings are in a very good spot, which is not something that has been said about the Sacramento Kings basically ever in the last 15 years or so. But I don't know. It's it's an interesting spot, and I was curious sort of what your thoughts were on that Keegan-Murray dilemma, especially since, spoiler alert, the second article that we're going to get to today is an article that you co-wrote about the other player in that particular debate, namely Jaden Ivey. And it, it's really tough because, you know, if you're taking the home run swing, which if you're picking in the top four, I think you probably should be. Jaden Ivey's the easy pick here. I think he has the most superstar upside of kind of any player in that range but i think it could be you know a, a slow build for him to become the player that a lot of people think he could be um the kings are obviously trying to win now and get in the playoffs for the first time in what feels like a few generations and i i think keegan murray is the better option for that so it, it it's really going to be fascinating what direction they go because it's really going to tip the hand of kind of the the front office's view of this team their whether they're short term or long term thinking and how secure they feel in their job. Um, I think if they feel really secure and have a great relationship and communication with ownership and think that they are going to get another contract because I believe theirs is coming up soon um then i expect them to go with ivy if they're feeling under the gun a little bit and like hey we need to start performing immediately right now and whoever we take it for needs to produce immediately from day one then i think it's going to be keegan so I, I don't think there's a bad pick either way i really really like both of these guys just in a vacuum as players um but i i still lean towards Jaden Ivey having to be the pick. And the more I think about it, the more I like the fit. So this is why I'm very happy that I get to talk about this with you, a Timberwolves fan, as opposed to having <laughs> this with Celtics fan Rucker, because you understand the pain of having been a terrible team for a long time. But no, I basically ended up on it in pretty much the same place you did, which is there are a whole lot of reasons why Keegan makes a ton of sense. I really like him as a prospect. I think that he's someone who would provide shooting and defense, certainly faster than Ivy will at the NBA mm -hmm. level. I think you can be able to rely on Keegan Murray's defense. But ultimately where I came down on it, after having changed my mind many, 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 many times since lottery night, I think that the Kings can't afford to pass up on the upside swing at Jaden Ivey. And, you know, the funny part about this is the more recent buzz comes out, it seems more and more likely that Ivey might even go at three rather than four, which would leave, I think, the Kings with an easier choice. Because if any of Paulo Chet or Jabari Smith Jr. falls to them at four, I think that's a much easier debate than the Keegan Murray dilemma that we were discussing. But that's a separate conversation 
based around Jaden Ivey. So let's now transition to talking about the article that you wrote most recently over at No Ceilings NBA, which went up this morning about the ascension of Jaden Ivey, which you co-wrote with our colleague Maxwell Baumbach. And I thought it was really interesting how you two sort of broke down the differences between the offense and the defense, because with the offense, there's a whole lot to love. And as you hinted at earlier, there's a lot more reason to think that Jaden Ivey will fit in with the Sacramento offense due to his abilities off the ball. than I think a lot of people are giving him credit for the defense. The way Maxwell put it was basically it's a mold of clay. And I think that's exactly right. You know, there's a lot of really good tools and, not as much positive film on the defensive end as I might want to see. But your portion of the article was talking about his offense. And honestly, that's a lot more fun to talk about <laughs> anyway. So why don't we start with that and, you know, sort of go through, let's start with his on-ball stuff. What were you most impressed with going back through his film on the ball? And then we'll get to off-ball after that. Yeah. And the the first thing that just leaps off the screen when you watch him is his speed. And that really is highlighted in transition. And we, we talked earlier this season when I wrote about his transition offense, and it's just absurd. The variety of it, the different ways that he can score, the way that he goes from zero to 100 in a blink of an eye. Um, and then also has the ability to slam on the brakes once he gets to the rim to avoid those charges. And in the open court, when he's going full speed, that's where his playmaking, I think, really looks the most natural and most comfortable for him because he's if guys are running with him, he's going to find them on kickouts or dump-offs, and they're going to be open because of how much gravity and attention he just generates because of how explosive of, of a scorer he is. So from day one, I expect him to be just a nasty transition uh, weapon in the NBA because, yes, he's an elite athlete in college, but that that's translating immediately like i don't think there's going to be obviously there'll be a few players in the league or a few more opponents who have somewhat similar athleticism but he's still going to be in really rarefied air in terms of just burst and explosiveness and just raw speed um then and his his pick and roll stuff was really impressive too especially when he got downhill um he he used screens basically the way the same way that he used space and transition to generate that runway to the rim and that's where he was able to you know finish over contact had the strength to finish through contact um i really liked how he secured the ball when he gathered through traffic um his driving kick playmaking uh was the most impressive out of the pick and roll um but his overall playmaking is just okay. Um, you know, I, I worded it in the article that he makes or that he doesn't make traditional point guard passes. And I hate the way that I said it and I still do, but he passes like a shooting guard or an off guard, not necessarily a point guard. So that's kind of where my hesitation with him being a point guard um, comes into play. But the way that he's able to really harness and leverage his just absurd first step and then his improved strength and leaping ability to be this dynamic on-ball scorer and creator, I think is really, really impressive. So I do want to move to the off-ball stuff, but before we do, I just want to circle back to one thing you said earlier, which I thought is incredibly important in evaluating his game, is how good he is at changing speeds, that he's not just someone who, and, you know, I've beaten this dead horse many a time when talking about De'Aaron Fox and how, you know, his first year or so in the league, he really only had one speed, which was go full speed. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that Ivy already has that ability to, you know, to hesitate to pull up a bit to, you know, stop start kind of, you know, there are some, there are some plays and, you know, this gets into his off ball stuff too, where, you know, he's just, you know, jogging around, jogging around, then he hits the turbo button and all of a sudden there's just nobody anywhere near him. And, you know, that I think is really impressive for a young guard to be able to do. And, you know, granted, I think the point that you made about his point guard passing, even though you hated the way you worded it, I think, you know, it's, I think it's a good point to make in the sense that, you know, he's not someone who will be a primary point guard early on that he that's going to be something he has to grow into but you know the flip side of that also is that well you know he was very very effective off the ball you know and mm -hmm. he did get a decent amount of off ball opportunities because purdue ran a whole lot of their offense out of the post which when it was trevion williams i totally got it when it was zach Eady, um 
when it was Trayvon Williams, I totally got yeah. it. But moving on. <laughs> exactly. But speaking of moving on, uh, let's get a little bit deeper into Jaden Ivey's off-ball offense because in particular when you know contrasting it with the keegan murray dilemma i think his ability to play off ball would be vital if he ends up going to the sacramento kings yeah and i i just love his off ball stuff and all of these statements that have been popping up these last couple weeks of oh ivy has to have the ball to succeed it's like that you didn't watch him like all you're watching is his highlight film and i get it because that's a lot of fun to watch it's a really enjoyable watch Yes, yes it is but the way he moved off ball and how effective he was off ball. It's like, that's where, what he should be used as more that that's where the, the real substance to his offense is because when you have him sprinting off screens, defenders can't keep up with him. And then he showed an improved ability to kind of settle into those open pockets on, on the wing when he came off screens, depending on how his defender followed him and his footwork and how he organized his shot off the catch was really impressive. Now, some of his misses were really bad, but the overall off-ball shooting numbers I thought were encouraging. And, you know, I, he he took a huge jump overall in his outside shooting this year. And I don't expect him to be J.J. Redick or Ray Allen or anything out there running off the screens and hitting movement threes consistently. But he does that to create space and then can also leverage that off ball movement and that defensive um, in, in the defenders playing catch up to then create on ball opportunities, whether it's a second side pick and roll or attacking a closeout and finishing at the rim, you know, it, it's just putting him in movement on cuts or dribble handoffs or just running off screens. It's like, okay, now we're getting his, you know, momentum going and the defenders are already two steps behind because they just don't have the raw speed to stay with him so you know when i talked about his playmaking earlier being that of more of a two guard and not a one i like that i like because that, that's who i think he should be that's the role i think he should play at least early on in his nba career because he doesn't manipulate defenses from an athletic standpoint i get the comparisons to Ja. But Ja was manipulating defenses at will he was averaging you know almost 10 11 assists in college Jaden Ivey's not doing that. He can really leverage his scoring gravity and counter defensive rotations by kicking out to open shooters, but he's not passing guys open and that's okay. But when he's running off screens and using that momentum to get downhill or create better space for a catch and shoot three, that's where he becomes even more dangerous, more effective, and just allows you to do so many different things in an NBA offense. All right, so we are now going to transition to talking about our lotteries. So we are nine days away, nine days away from the NBA draft, which is ridiculous to say. We're now single-digit days until the NBA draft. But so before we get on to the actual you know, pre-draft podcast that we will record before the draft and then, you know, wrap up after the draft. I just wanted to quickly go through and discuss our lotteries since we've been doing, you know, individual player breakdowns for most of this season over here on NBA Deep Dives and Draft Deep Dives. So let's start out by going through our top six, because I am pretty confident that we have the same players in the top six. And I'm also pretty confident that we have them in a different order with the exception being, I'm pretty sure we agree on number one. So let's just get that out of the way first. Number one, Chet Holmgren. How are we doing? Yep, 100%. For, for, since day one, sprinting to the podium. Fantastic. Yeah, I I had Paulo ahead of him early in the season. I adjusted that very quickly and have had Chet <laughs> at the top of my board ever since. So good. We're one pick in, one pick of agreement. Now, now Now's where the fun starts. So I'm going to go two through six on my board. And again, I'm pretty sure you have the same players. I'm pretty sure you have them in a different order. So let's get started. Number two, Paolo Banquero out of Duke. Number three, Jaden Ivey out of Purdue. Number four, Jabari Smith Jr. out of Auburn. Number five, Keegan Murray out of Iowa. Number six, Johnny Davis out of Wisconsin. Yep. Ex exact same players, different order. Um, I have order for it. I have Jabari, Paolo, uh, Johnny, Jaden, Keegan. All right. So let's start with Paolo versus Jabari, and then we'll do Jaden versus Johnny, because I think those are the those are the clearest sort of debates that I think we have sure. at the top. So the reason that I have Jabari at four is not that I'm down on him as a prospect at all. I really like all the top four guys in this draft much more than I thought I would at the start of the cycle, certainly. Yeah. But my thing with Jabari is 
not just you know the relative lack of handle, which I think is the main critique that he gets on draft Twitter these days. Yep. But I'm really worried about his ability to score around the basket. It's you know I think something that will really limit his upside to being more than sort of a complimentary player on the offensive end. I really buy into his defense. I think he's going to be very solid on the perimeter for someone his size, but I am worried enough about his scoring around the basket and his handle that I have him at four. Now, again, I'm saying I have him at four, right? I I really believe in him as a prospect. I think that there's a very good chance that he ends up being an all-star, maybe, maybe even an all-NBA guy, but that's why I have him below Paulo and Jaden on my board. But since you have Jabari ahead of both of those guys, uh, why don't you go for it? What are your thoughts on Jabari and why you have him at two? Yeah, so the, the lack of handle definitely worries me. And that's really why I don't have him at one, because I, and if he was one of these guys who could go out there and if he had the handles of Paolo, it'd be like, like Jabari's the best player since, you know, since X or whatever, but exactly. Um, it, it's a big hole in his game. And that's why I, I don't think he has that, you know, superstar MVP upside because of that. And until he develops that, if he can develop that, you know, it's going to be a big hole in his game. And the, the two point percentages, it's, it's concerning. Um, but at that size and with those shooting mechanics and that shooting consistency, it's like you you can do a lot with this guy. And it's it's standstill, it's movement threes, it's you know, jab step into a one dribble pull up. Um, he can't really generate space, but he also doesn't really need to, so I'm not too worried about it. The decision making in terms of passing not really processing what the defense is doing. That worries me a little more than the lack of, you know, shot creation. Um, But all I ever see everyone or see and hear everyone talk about with Jabari is the offense. And for some reason, I never hear anyone praise him for his defense, where I think he's the most versatile defender in this class, where he has the size of of a big and the footwork of a wing and he moves incredibly well he can switch almost everything and i it wouldn't shock me if he's on multiple all defensive teams in the future yeah the defense is a huge part of it and you know again the reason that i have him at four is because i'm worried about things on the offensive side the defense i am not worried about i have a feeling that you know, again, pretty much all rookies are terrible on the defensive end in the NBA. I have a feeling that Jabari might be average on defense in the NBA in his first year. And, you know, honestly, given what we saw from Evan Mobley and, you know, on the smaller side, Davion Mitchell, and on the slightly bigger side, again, Herb Jones last year, there are rookies who occasionally come in mm-hmm. and are really, really good defenders right away. And Jabari might end up being that, you know, and at worst, I think he's going to be okay on defense his first year. And then by year two, year three, year four, he's going to be someone that everybody looks at and is like, wow this guy is a monster on the defensive end you know he's someone who can fit into any coverage scheme who can switch on the perimeter if you need him to i am not worried about the defense at all i think i might be a little more out on him than i am if his defense wasn't so good but yeah you know because his defense is what it is i mean he might have the highest floor of anyone in this class i think i would argue that he has the highest floor of anyone which it feels a bit weird that i have him at four given that i just said that but i mean you know the combination of his shooting touch and his defense means that I think there's a very small chance that he doesn't end up being really, really good. But another set of two players that I think we both believe in just to slightly different degrees, and we've had this debate before, we will have this debate again. I'm sure that, you know, 50 years from now when we're in old person's homes, we'll be yelling at each other over the phone about this particular debate. But I have Jaden Ivey as the top guard in this class. You have Johnny Davis as the top guard in this class. I have a feeling that a lot of the difference is actually going to come down to what we discussed, namely the defensive end of the floor. But I'm not going to rain on your Johnny Davis parade. Give us your soliloquy about the wonders of Johnny Davis. And I, I, I've talked about Johnny Davis for hours, maybe weeks on end at this point. Um, <laughs> but I, I think he's one of the best perimeter defenders in this class. Um, I would like him to tighten up his footwork a little bit. Uh, shocker, I brought up footwork, but <laughs> just his effort, his screen navigation, his awareness, uh, his defensive playmaking, it's all incredibly impressive. And it wouldn't surprise me if he's the best defender to come out of this class in the long run. Um, and then offensively, his ambidexterity on scoring and playmaking is incredible. The the accuracy and the touch on in the vision for passing, I think it gets really slept on. Yes, I know the assist numbers aren't there. Assist 
to get an assist, the other guy has to make a shot. And when you have no one else on your team who can shoot, you're not going to get an assist. So from just an overall context standpoint, I can't think of many players who were in a worse situation than Johnny this year. And he still had the performances that he did. Um, just his, his approach to the game, the kind of old school scoring nature of the mid range, the different ways he can get to a shot in the mid range at the rim, the way he snakes through traffic to finish on either side of the rim, the way that he cuts, uh, relocates off ball, you know, even posts up. I think it's all incredibly impressive. Yes. I want the outside shooting to be better, but I'm more confident that a player like him can develop a reliable standstill catch and shoot three than someone can develop a dynamic off the ball scoring game. So what he needs to improve on, I think is improvable, um, especially if he lands in a place like New Orleans or San Antonio with really well-regarded shooting coaches. And that just his overall approach to the game where he's competitive he does whatever his team needs him to do and he fills whatever role his coaching staff asked him to. We've seen him play a ton of different roles over different competitions in the last two years, and he's pretty much succeeded at all of them. So I believe this was on the Topic Thunder podcast that we were both recently on, but you mentioned something I thought was really important about Johnny Davis, which is he's not going to be a 30% usage guy no. in the NBA because he's not going to need to be a 30% right. usage guy in the NBA. And Wisconsin desperately needed him to be that kind of a high usage player the entirety of this season to the point where he kind of, you know, submarined his stats a little bit by playing hurt down the stretch yes. run of the season because they needed him so desperately. You yeah, know. and it, it's just stop stop thinking of him as who he is in Wisconsin. All of these guys' roles change, except for the top 0.1% of draft prospects. Johnny's not going to be a have a usage rate of 31 and a half. It's going to be in the teens, probably. And he's just going to be even more effective and be able to expend more energy on both ends of the floor, which is really surprising that he'd even be able to do that, given how he played on both ends of the floor this year. So the dude just wants to win. He wants to make his teammates better. He wants to make his team better. And he'll basically do whatever is needed to accomplish that. So we've already discussed Jaden Ivey a bit, so I'll just quickly run through my case for him ahead of Johnny Davis. It's not a slight on Johnny at all. Again, we have the same top six, just in a slightly different order for a reason. But I mean, with Jaden, just his exceptional speed, his ridiculous athleticism, I bought into his shot a lot more than I think pretty much everybody else after last year. I thought last year his shooting was the aberration, and I thought that this year he showed that last year was the shooting aberration for him. So I'm not worried about his three-point shooting at all. His mid-range game could use a little bit of work. His defense is definitely well below where Johnny Davis's defense is right now, but I am more willing to bet on Jaden Ivey's upside than I am on Johnny Davis's. Not to say that I don't believe in Johnny Davis's upside, just if I'm debating between the two of them, I would go with Ivy then Davis, and you'd go the other way around. Yeah, and I, I, I fully recognize that I'm in the minority having Johnny at four, and as the best guard in this class, I have Ivy at five. It's not a slight on Ivy. I, I think Ivy has the higher superstar potential in the long run. Um, but Johnny's just more of the type of player that I think is can fit into more situations and just really elevate the overall team performance a little better. He just, the, the way that he approaches the game, I'm a sucker for. Um, and I, I think he's got a lot more to show. All right, let's go seven through 10 now. And I know that we're going to disagree on one of these guys, but it's not going to be as violently as we disagree on some people later in the lottery. So my seven through 10 right now Shaden Sharp at 7, A.J. Griffin at 8, Benedict Matherin at 9, and Dyson Daniels at 10. So, yeah, the facial expression that the listeners of this podcast, which is an audio medium, did not see was made when I said Benedict Matherin at 9. I know you're slightly lower on him, so why don't you give the anti-case before I give the pro case for Benedict Matherin here? Do you want me to give where I, where I have Matherin? Um, do you have him in the lottery? Yes. Okay, so yeah, go for it. <laughs> I, I have him at 14. Okay. Um, I, I think he's going to be a really good player in the NBA. I, I think he's a better shooter than his percentages indicate because he took a lot of really tough movement threes this year. And I, I think that's a really encouraging sign for him long term. Um, I just think he's purely an off-ball scorer with who plays in consistent defense. I, I don't see the offensive upside. I keep seeing him... Sp- 
well, now I see him kind of being mocked at, you know, pick five to the Pistons. And I, I just can't come around to that, at least at that spot. To the, I like the fit for the Pistons if they were at nine or 10, maybe. But I don't, he showed almost no on ball equity improvement this year from what he showed as a freshman. Um, I know he ran more pick and roll. Um, but the, the, I think the playmaking is really limited. I don't think he creates much space. Um, but as an off-ball scorer, I, I adore him. Um, I just, when you know we think about that type of player, really good athlete, uh, good off-ball scorer, defense kind of comes and goes. You know, It's like, is this guy going to be just Tim Hardaway Jr.? And I love Tim Hardaway Jr., but I'm not sure I also want to be taking Tim Hardaway Jr. with the top seven pick. Sure. I mean, I don't have him top seven, so I wouldn't go quite that high. I think right. I buy into his defense a little bit more. I will agree it was definitely inconsistent, but I was very encouraged by the positive signs. In terms of the on-ball equity, uh, it's not quite there. I think he did really show improvements as a passer this year. I think he would have a lot more to go before he can be the kind of on-ball player that you would want to take at fifth overall, if we're talking about the Pistons being in the conversation for him. But again, I, I think the difference here is really just I buy into his defense a little bit more. I think he showed a little bit more as a passer and playmaker this year than he had his first year at Arizona. And, you know, I think that he has a very, very high floor as an off-ball scoring shooting type. You know, I think that he will be a valuable rotation player sooner rather than later. And I don't think that fifth starter for, you know, a long period of time in the NBA is out of the question for him. So that's sort of why I have him at nine, but that's sort of the big debate there. Why don't we get your seven through 10 now? Cause I have a feeling at least a couple of the players that I mentioned in my seven through 10 are going to be on your list. Yeah, they, it was pretty similar. Uh, at seven, I have AJ Griffin, eight, Jalen Duran, nine, Shaden Sharp, 10, Dyson Daniels. Okay, so we're we're in the same place with Daniels, which is yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've bumped him up my board a significant number of times in the last like two months or so, but I'm not quite at the like top four, top five buzz that he's been getting some places. Shaden Sharp is just impossible. <laughs> it's just oh my god! It's like part of me wants to go back to you know the sort of old adage of. Back in the era when NBA players were drafted straight out of high school, a lot of people were very worried about, oh, the bust rate is incredibly high. The bust rate is incredibly high. And if you look back at the data for the picks that were actually high school guys taken in the draft, for the most part, they were more effective during that era than college players taken in the yeah. draft because surprise, surprise, they were so supremely talented that they could just <laughs> get drafted directly out of high school. So, you know, that part of me is like, okay. I can't drop Shaden Sharp too low because he was the number one recruit in his high school class. And if you look at his highlights, it's just absolutely ridiculous. He's one of, if not the best vertical athletes in this draft, maybe the best, probably the best vertical athlete in this draft and a good enough shooter that you can, you know, buy into him being that kind of off ball wing who can absolutely dunk all over 74 people at the same time kind of deal. But I can't put him higher than seven. I, I, I can't. I can't do it. I mean, especially the conversation that we had back when the Kings were picking at seven between would you go with Shaden Sharp or would you go with Benedict Matherin? I don't know. I mean, I have Sharp ahead of Matherin on my board. I think the upside is just so much higher for Sharp than it is for Matherin, but we haven't seen him play organized basketball in a year. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, even with the guys who were drafted directly out of high school, they were drafted directly out of high school, right? You know, they had finished playing a season of Granted, it was high school basketball, but they had finished playing a season of basketball before they got drafted into the league, right? So, I don't know. I mean, I get why you have Shaden Sharp lower than I do. I certainly have considered bumping him lower than seven numerous times in the past month or so. But, I mean, ultimately, there's a lot of reason to believe in his track record and what he can become. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not all the way there yet. But the guy that you had at nine, Jalen Duran, so... We'll get into 11 through 14 in just a moment, but spoiler alert, I have him at 11, so not that far off from where you are on him. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of similar in some ways to the Shaden Sharp argument. Absolutely ridiculous athlete, you know, still 18 years old. And, you know, he has the upside to be a really special player at a position where maybe the replacement level for centers is pretty high, as we've discussed time and time again on here. But 
to be able to get an actual superstar center with serious defensive potential, you know, maybe even all defensive team potential. And, you know, couple that with the fact that especially over the second half of the season, he showed real improvement as a, as a passer. I definitely think that the fact that we had him fall in our most recent mock draft, as far as we did, does not entirely agree with where I would have him on my personal board. So not in the top 10 for me as he is for you, but I have Jalen Duran at 11. And, you know, I think he's, I think he's a very good prospect and someone who could really turn out to be one of the more special players in this class. Yeah, so I mean, as of like a week or two ago, I had him at about 11 or 12, um, too. And I just kind of was like, okay, l- let me think back on how this kid's season went and what his progression was like. And, you know, just the more you think about those that second half of the year and how much he grew and improved on a game-by-game basis compared to what we saw in the first half is like, okay, that's exactly what you want from these young guys. And he's a guy who should be going into college this year. He should be starting his summer classes right now. Um, And instead, he's going pro a year earlier. So it's like, okay, this dude, yes, I know he looks like he's 28 and just a physical freak, but he's 18 and a physical freak. Um, From an athletic standpoint, it's hard to find guys like that. And that, that gives him just such a solid baseline of what he could be as an NBA player. And then when you think about the steps that he took in improvement, how his context at Memphis really held him back. um, There's just a lot to kind of get excited about. Um, I'm not sure I ever really buy him as a a shooter, but maybe 15 foot face up like, and if he could do that, that'd be huge. Um, If my, my hesitations with him are, okay, how do you get your shot? And it's, you know, he's got to get more comfortable with that one dribble spin back into a layup or just that 15 foot face up. Um, if he's just a role guy, I don't think taking him or having him as a top 10 guy will necessarily be legitimized by that. Um, unless the defense really takes a jump, but I think there are a lot of different things that you could do with him on offense in the long run, especially if he has like an actual point guard to play with. Um, that could be really interesting. And then just his rim protection, it it could be really special. I don't think he's as switchable and mobile as a lot of people do. I think he kind of actually has heavy feet for a lot of it, but his explosiveness and the improvements that we saw with his defensive awareness and decision-making, it it was really encouraging for a guy who was playing up a year. Yeah. So I think that you're definitely right that he needs a couple of counters, you know, a couple counters in the post and maybe a 15 foot jumper would really help his game earlier this year i on the no ceilings podcast described the memphis offense as not just a tire fire but a tire fire from which you would take fires and use those flaming tires to light other tire fires and that context changed a little bit in the second half of the season and duran looked a lot better because of it on the offensive end which you know is not particularly surprising but you know i think it's also worth noting again you know he's playing a year up at this point, and he was still able to be as impressive as he was in that context without a real point guard and without really any sort of offensive creation around him until the second half of the season. And even then it was a little bit iffy. Yeah. And it it was just, he took the steps that you want to see from a young player. And, you know, when you're that physically imposing in high school, it's really easy to get into the habits of, okay, I'm just going to overpower you on every single play on both ends of the floor. And I'm just going to physically dominate you. When you keep going up levels, you have to have something different. And the guys who can't adapt and implement different things into their game, that isn't just brute force. They're the ones that you see, you know, getting 15 minutes a game at most what Duran showed in that second half of the year was that he was at least willing to try some things and that he has the potential to grow into different things that aren't just purely brute force. Um, and that that's what I really wanted to see from him because at the start of the year, it was just pure power all the time and it, it wasn't working for him. But when you can mix in some agility and some change of pace stuff and some, you know, finesse to your game and then hit him with, with the brute force, it's like, okay, well now I have no idea what to do with you because you're constantly keeping me on my heels um, because you have all these different things to go to. So he's get, really got to work on a lot more of that and really refining it. But I, I if he does, I, he could be a really special player. 
I always feel bad about using him as the example, but I think he's really the best example I have for this. Uh, Cliff Alexander. Oof. You know, just someone who was such a monstrous high school player and just ridiculous athlete for a center. And he just never figured anything else out other than being able to dunk over people and push them out of the way. And the fact that Jalen Duran was so objectively not that is, I think, a really encouraging sign. And again, I, I feel bad about using that as the example, but, you know, there, there are other players you could go back to. I should probably find a couple more to put in my toolkit so I don't have to say Cliff Alexander every time. But, you know, there are plenty of guys who are top, top level high school recruits who just never figure out enough else to be able to do anything more than physically dominate people. And as you continue to progress forward in levels of basketball, it gets more and more difficult to do that because the players around you are more and more athletic. It gets more and more difficult to just shove them out of the way. And if you never really develop anything else, then you can go from being a top ranked high school guy to not being drafted at all. And Jalen Duran, especially over the second half of the season, you know, showed the kinds of developments that you would want to see, especially from someone who was so young as Duran playing in a college basketball context. Yeah. And the, the, the league is all about versatility now. And, you know, Coaching staffs and defenses are so smart that if you can only succeed at one thing, you're you're incredibly easy to scheme against. You know, we, we, I talk about this with off-ball shooters all the time. If you're a lethal off-ball shooter, awesome. What are you going to do when they run you off the line? If you can't do anything, you're not playable because, okay, well, cool. Now it's a turnover or a brick shot or, you know, some wild floater or something. And once you add in that, you know, dribble or that, that two dribble pull up or being able to slash and take it all the way to the rim or make that kick out pass, just something, some sort of counter to whatever that primary defensive approach is. That's when you become more playable and more reliable and more impactful on a game. All right. So I already stated that Jalen Duran was my number 11. You already stated that Benedict Matherin was your number 14. So why don't we get your 11 through 13 and then we'll do my 12 through 14 because I know for a fact that two of them you will be perfectly fine with and one of them we will have a debate about for the 745th time this year. So, <laughs> oh God, you moved him up into the lottery? I've had him in the lottery the whole time. I moved him back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. At, at 11, I have Malachi Branham, 12, Mark Williams, 13, Usman Zhang, and 14, Benedict Matherin. Okay, so... Usman Jang, I have out of the lottery at 21. Mark Williams, I have at 15, so just barely out of the lottery. Malachi Branham is my 14, so not that far off. Um, at 13, I have Ushai Agbaji, who I'm guessing you have somewhere in the later teens. 15. There we go. Okay, so <laughs> so we have one guy in our lottery that the other guy has at 15, and then yep. the other way around for Ushai, but... Okay, I don't think I really need to sell you on Oshai. I don't think I really need to sell you on Malachi Branham. Number 12, Nikola Jovic. I, just, I can't do it. <laughs> so I, I just real quick, I have Jovic. Let me keep scrolling. 34. Okay, out of the first round now. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but he, he he's in that cluster of guys where it's like, okay, any of these guys could go 25 to 35 or you know so it's a, if he goes in the first round i'm not gonna hate it like he's in that kind of grouping at the end of the first early second but I, I i probably would not take him in the first all right so i'm willing to bet that that is mostly predicated on his defense and relative lack of athleticism but i don't want to speak for you on the ovich front so go for it give give the screed that you've been waiting to give me all season long <laughs> um so i think theoretically he's an awesome prospect um, my concern is that it's all theoretical. I, I, I want to start out with the positives because I really do like his his uh, playmaking. I think he's one of the more impressive passers in this class. I, he's got good touch, good accuracy, uh, good vision. So I definitely buy the playmaking. Um, the shooting is a little hit or miss for me. Um, you know, when, when he's on, it looks really good, but some of his misses are really, really bad misses. And I begging people to stop comparing him to Peja Stoyakovic because Peja is one of the best shooting wings and was an MVP candidate. So you've got a Kings fan here who has him in the lottery. And I still think that's ridiculous. Yeah. Thank, thank you. I just, I don't know how he scores in the NBA because I don't think he's 
strong enough to overpower smaller defenders. And I don't think he's quick enough to take bigs off the dribble. And that's where the athleticism comes into play. Um, and that also just really hurts him defensively too. Uh, he, I think he plays soft and I, I don't like saying that about guys because it's kind of a damning phrase to throw on someone, but that's kind of the vibe I get from him when he's able to keep ball handlers um, on one side of the court. I generally like his footwork. I think he kind of moves pretty decently defensively, but when he's forced to flip his hips, he always drops so aggressively to the rim that he has no confidence. It's like he has no confidence in his ability to stop the guy and he's just panicking to not give up a layup. And that, and it just leaves him so vulnerable to a million just pull up 15 footers or pull up threes. And I, I think guys are just going to hunt him and force switches and just abuse him on defense. And I don't think the offensive impact is going to be good enough necessarily to really counter that. So look, I know that I'm much higher than most on Jovich and the defense is bad. I'm not going to I'm not going to try and sugarcoat it. Uh, the defense is is just bad. And the backpedaling that you mentioned is I think really the key there. Basically anytime anyone drives at him, he's like desperately moving his feet back to try and get himself near the basket and that allows a lot of those mid-range pull-ups that you mentioned. I again, I do not have him as high as I do based on anything to do <laughs> to play. Although as you mentioned, I will admit there are some times where his footwork looks decent. It's just when anyone yeah. attacks him in any way, it's it's not a good look. That being said, the reason that I buy into him as much as I do, the main thing is the passing, the playmaking, especially in this class where there aren't really any top tier playmaker passer types, especially in comparison to the last few years of the draft. I think that his passing and playmaking really stands out in comparison to the rest of the 2022 draft class. So that's, that's my big thing with him. The other big thing with him is literally just the fact that he's big. He's 6'11", right? I mean, you know, I don't want to put him as the center in any defensive scheme because he's going to get absolutely destroyed as the center in a defensive scheme, but he's big enough that I think you can find non-threatening forwards to hide him on most of the time and allow his offensive game to come through. And I think the other reason that I have him as high as I do is I buy into the shooting more than most people. I think that the biggest problem with, the biggest problem for me with his shooting is his shot selection, not the actual shot itself. I think he's got a pretty nice form. I think he knocks down his threes with the kind of regularity that I would want him to. And, you know, I'm worried about the first step on the offensive end as well. You know, he has a good handle for someone his size, but he can't use it as much as I would like him to, given that his first step is not that great. So, you know, I don't want to oversell here, but I think that his combination of size, passing ability, and the fact that I buy into the shooting touch a lot more than most people is why I have him as high as I do. And, you know, as I said, I've dropped him a little bit, but I never had him any higher than 10th. You know, I wasn't one of those guys ever throughout this process who thought Jovic was a top 10 guy. But mm-hmm. I think that, you know, with the 12th pick in the lottery, I think ultimately that even though he's going to be bad on defense, I think that his full, you know, I compared him to Nemanja Bielitsa a lot. And I think that's sort of indicative of where I think his median outcome is like his 50th percentile outcome is someone who I think will be a valuable role player as a shooter off the bench who can make plays, who can, you know, fit into an offense, make reads, that sort of thing and be six eleven. And I think, you know, if that's sort of the average outcome for him, that's, that's pretty good value for the 12th overall pick, you know, someone who can maybe start in the right context, but for the most part, just play a role and play it really effectively as a shooting playmaking big. And if he can figure out anything on the defensive end, like literally anything on the defensive end and, you know, spend a little time in the weight room, you know, I don't want to say he can work on his athleticism. You know, there's some deficiencies that you can't really make up for, but you know, I think that he just turned 19. He's shown the kind of passing and shooting chops that I think have been really impressive. You know, I don't want to put a a limit on his upside in that sense. I do recognize the concerns. I'm not going to pretend that I don't, but I believe enough in his playmaking and in his shooting touch at 6'11 to still have him as high as I do. But again, I get why a lot of other people are much lower on him than that. That's just, you know, if I'm going to die on Nikolajovic Hill, I'm going to die on Nikolajovic Hill. And last year, the hill that we debated was Alperin Sengun, and that looks like a win for me so far. So, you know, this one might go the same way. Just saying. No, that, that that's fair. Um, I, I Obviously, they're not the same players, um, but I need... They they kind of have like that similar skill 
big Euro um, vibe to him. So I know it, it'll be interesting if, if the shooting, I think, really becomes a lot more consistent. I think there's, you know, something to work with offensively there. Um, it'll just be fascinating if he can just find some way to not be unplayable on defense um, because Belly is obviously not a perfect player, but he rebounds and is a lot is a lot tougher and a lot better defender than Jovic is even close to sniffing. So offensively, I, I, I understand that comp. Um, and I, I don't necessarily hate it. Uh, I, I just think they're worlds apart on the other end of the floor. And if at that size, if you're a complete defensive liability, it becomes really hard to justify playing you. Yeah. Again, I, it's totally fair where everyone is coming from with the criticisms. It's not that I don't get it. It's I think right. that I'm just, I'm higher on the positive parts of his game. And I think I'm about in the same place of most people with his defense, but I think I'm, you know, just higher enough on the positive parts of his game that I have him as high as I do. But I do want to talk quickly about a couple of other guys that we have in our respective lotteries. So I think it's fascinating and perfect that we have one of Oshai Agbaji and Mark Williams at 15, and the other at... You had him at 13, right? Uh, 12. 12. 12, okay. So I have Oshai at 12, and... Uh, I have Oshai at 13, and you have him at 15. I have Mark Williams at 15, and you have him at 12. Mark Williams is the player who has jumped in and out of my lottery the most times during this draft cycle. And even even now, you know, especially after... Uh, Corey Tulliba ranted about his not-so-great defense on the Draft Act podcast a couple of weeks ago, and no, more recently than that. Time time is weird around the draft, but recently on the Draft Act podcast, Corey gave a lecture about Malachi Brandon's defense that made me sour on him a bit, but you know, ultimately, I'm going with Malachi at 14 ahead of Mark Williams at 15, just because I think the shot creation upside for Malachi Branham is so impressive, but... I mean, with Mark Williams, it's very, very difficult for me to leave him out of the lottery, even though I have him right there at 15. I mean, I think he's just an NBA-ready center who is going to be a force on the defensive end sooner rather than later and who has absolutely anything you could want in a pick-and-roll big. So I totally get why you have him as high as you do. Yeah, and I, I just love Mark Williams. I think he's ready to play day one um, and ready to play and be a positive contributor day one. I all of these guys will obviously be ready to play, um, but well, I hope they will. But, but not many of them are going to be able to positively contribute. I, I think defensively, he's just so impressive. Uh, he can throw a lot of different looks in the pick and roll. Um, I, I think he's a lot more mobile than people want to give him credit for. I obviously don't want him switching on the perimeter, but he uses his length and awareness and positioning so well. Um, Ochai is a guy, I'm, you and I have been super high on him since he was a freshman uh, years now. yeah yeah and i he's another he, he's kind of similar to mark williams just as a wing where he's going to be able to impact a rotation from day one i think he's one of the best off ball scorers in this class i think his defense is way better than people are giving him credit for which is weird because he's always been Why? an awesome <laughs> defender he's been great at yeah I I, I I i don't get it um he's always been this awesome defender so with less offensive responsibility i think we're going to see a lot more of that elite defense that he showed um and even if he's taken a step back athletically and the on-ball defense isn't what it once was i the team defense and awareness and kind of defensive playmaking is still there so i i have zero hesitations about either of those guys just being good pros so lastly, before we wrap things up, just circling back to Malachi Branham, who we talked about on this podcast a couple months ago when I made the brilliant decision to write a sleeper deep dives article about him right as he was about two weeks into his breakout and everybody thought he was a clear first round pick. So that was that made me feel really good that I picked the absolute worst possible time to write that. But it is interesting to me that, you know, he was sort of considered an end of the first round ish guy after that piece. And then he zoomed into the top 10 discussions for some people and you have him at 11. I have him at 14 and 
I don't know. It feels like a lot of other people have gotten much higher on him than I've been as we sort of get down this stretch run to the lottery. So the shot creation is definitely there. And, you know, in terms of off-ball three-point shooting, I think he's going to be excellent right away. I think there are a lot of ways in which his game looked better because he was playing alongside EJ Liddell. I also think there are a lot of ways in which his game improved because he got to play alongside EJ Liddell. So I'm pretty comfortable with him at 14. You know, I've debated him at Mark Williams just because... I feel like Mark Williams should be in my lottery, even though he's just on the outside looking in. But ultimately, I'm sticking with Branham at 14. I'm not as low on his defense as Corey is by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, I think that his value is going to be mostly provided on the offensive end, especially early in his NBA career. But you are now slightly higher on Malachi Branham than I am. So is that just sort of the shock curation thing? Or what are your thoughts on Malachi Branham at this point in the process? Yeah, and I I had him at seven at one point, so I, I've cooled off just a little bit. But I, I think the offensive versatility is just really impressive. Uh, the the way he passes the ball, it's just really smart. It's really composed. He's always under control, really composed in traffic. Keeps his dribble alive. Uh, can score in the mid range. Can you know is a, an effective straight line driver. Um, really good pick and roll creator, and then just really good spot up shooter. So I think the different ways that he can impact an offense um, are extremely valuable from a two guard. The defense isn't great. Uh, he dies on screens a lot, but I, I think in the long run, it could be just, you know, below average and not horrid. Um, I, I think his off ball is a little better than, than you said, like Corey gave it credit for. Um, but the main selling if you're drafting him you're not drafting him for his defense um it, it's it's all about just the offensive versatility how he scores how he moves the ball um and just the different ways he contributes all right anything else you want to cover here before we wrap things up i uh, should have a piece on johnny davis out on friday uh then just no ceilings nba.com no ceilings nba.bigcartel.com uh go check it all out all right he is Tyler Metcalf. You can find him on Twitter at T-M-E-T-C-A-L-F-1-1. And as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, he had a joint piece with our No Ceilings NBA colleague, Maxwell Baumbach, about Jaden Ivey that went up this morning, as well as the Johnny Davis piece that he plugged for Friday. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I co-wrote an article on Keegan Murray earlier this week with the other No Ceilings NBA Tyler, Tyler Rucker. So please check that out. If you haven't already, you can find Tyler's work, of course, on No Ceilings NBA, as well as at hashtag basketball and Canis Hoopus. You can also find my work on No Ceilings NBA and hashtag basketball, as well as over at Nets Republic. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. That's always much appreciated on our end. And if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.